Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Forest Sky Podcast. Podcast. It's the Forest Sky. We have a mono America a week. Oh crap, that defense is good. Let's put out the lighter side of things. Oh crap, that defense is good. They don't believe something. They'll find a way to win a couple of games that maybe they should. Oh, thanks, It's uh, the Polish Guy Podcast is back and uh, off of vacation, which is uh, why uh, it's about a week late, uh, later than usual for the uh, baseball preview. Of course, we've got uh, we got our buddy Blodnik from uh, Houston, uh, where they are technically playing baseball this year, uh, setting records by striking out the most times in the first four games of the season out of anybody in history. So, congratulations on that! Congratulations, man. How do you feel about? Living in Houston when you're going to set some records. They are awful. <laughs> I mean, they're on pace for something like 2,400 strikeouts. Well, and, uh, yeah, I knew that first game they won versus the Rangers before like eight runs. I knew that wasn't going to hold up. But, I mean, they have, I mean, they have guys on their team that have struck out like 10 times already. Yeah, I think the record is somewhere in the 1900 range, which is, that's that's a lot. I'm not sure he did it. I think it was the Orioles, but, uh... uh Actually, I think it's around 1600. Oh, 1600, that's right. 1600, and, but, wow, uh, really something to shoot for this year. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they've got 60 already, or something like that, uh, after only striking... Yeah, they had, like, 13 more last night. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, oh, just awful. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go division by division. I, I figure we're going to start with the most interesting division of the league. Uh, and folks, um, you know, if you're, you've got a favorite team listening to this podcast, you might be, uh, might be disappointed if your team's uninteresting because we're not going to cover every single detail of every single team. Uh, but the AL East, that is a good place to start. Let's, let me just do this. Uh, here are some of the names. Let's start with the Yankees. Let's start right out with them. Here are some of the guys getting at bats right now for the New York Yankees. Eduardo Nunez, Travis Hafner, Vernon Wells, Lyle Overby, Francisco Cervelli, Chris Stewart, Brendan Bosch, Jason Nix. And uh, Wells has arguably been their best hitter so yeah, far. Yeah, he has, he has two homers and 14 at-bats since the uh, the trade. Now, what people might not know is what the, what the Yankees are doing is you buy yourself a grace period if you do not have to pay luxury tax just once every five years. So the reason that they're doing this is they're trying to get to $183 million next year. And... They're going to do it. They've said they're committed to doing this, but sometimes you get, you know you you see things like Chris Stewart, Francisco Cervelli when they could have had Russell Martin back, who yeah his batting average stinks and it stunk for a couple of years, but at least he had some power and he was definitely a a, a good a good catcher, and they let him go for basically a couple of million dollars of the Pirates of all teams, 
for, you know, and that's normally just something that uh, a Steinbrenner carries in his pocket. So it's, it's very interesting to see this. And now, of course, Hiroki Kuroda, who is a key to this team, an unspoken key to this team, gone, you know, leaves his start early. If this is a guy, yes, minor injury, but if he's a guy that's going to battle injury all year, this could be a really long season in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I have the Yankees fishing in last. Yeah, I uh, I have to admit that I somehow think that some Yankee aura will pull this together when we get to my predictions. You know, this is going to be a bit surprising, but things can happen in the first week to change those things. I'm not going to change my prediction because I'm not a person to do that. But if Corona... Uh, is injured at all, you know, if he's even injured for a month of the season, that's really bad. You know, and now Derek Jeter is on no timetable whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, the guy that are hurt would be such a Anderson. There's no timetable on any of these guys. No. It, it, there's no timetable on Jeter. There's no timetable on Fashera. Uh, there's no timetable on A-Rod. No, and A-Rod's gone for the year. You're kidding. Anyone who's believing that A-Rod's going to be back, I think, is kidding themselves. I don't see how he gets back. Not with not with the injury history that he now has under his belt, uh, which may or may not be related to PEDs. Who knows? Um, actually, I'm pretty sure we do know on that one. But... Again, yeah, Derek Jeter, all, no timetable. Uh, Granderson might get back a little bit early. Early, He's running, he's throwing, he's doing all that stuff now. But again, they're missing over 200 homers from the team that led the league in homers with 250 last year. So if you're missing 80% of your homers and now are relying on Vernon Wells, uh, that's trouble. And it's all to get under this luxury tax. They, they definitely could have made moves for, you know, the Yankees of the past probably would have Zach Greinke and Josh Hamilton. Right. Yeah, and, you know, Hamilton would have been perfect for them. But, you know, look, they, they committed to this. They don't want to pay it anymore. They want the grace period. So there you have it. Um, Boston Red Sox. Uh, another team where now their hopes are on somebody, something named Jackie Bradley Jr., a former South Carolina Gamecock who was a star in the College World Series in his past. But then now John Lackey on his first start after Tommy John surgery and after the beer and chicken incidents, now he uh, strains his bicep last night, uh, supposed to find out more after tests today. This can't be good for the hope of people for the Boston Red Sox. No, I mean, Boston, uh, as they're constructed, is uh, one of those, uh, you know, scrappy teams. They definitely don't have the makeup uh, of the lineup that they had in years past. And uh, if, if they don't have all their tools, they're, uh, they're going to they're struggle. Uh, eventually, Pop, Big Poppy is going to turn into uh, Jason Giambi uh, circa now. So it, it's it's going to be tough. They need to have 
John Lester look like uh, the guy he was three years ago. You know, they need all these other things to happen. It's really interesting that we're going to be discussing the AL East, and we might be discussing a lot about Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. Uh, want to hit up Tampa Bay, as usual, they have an incredible pitching staff. Uh, they went, uh, their team ERA thus far this season at, for their starters is under one. It's uh, been pretty crazy already for them. Again, the questions are, how long will, can Evan Longoria be healthy? They are uh, they're about a 650 winning percentage ball club with a 600 to 650 winning percentage ball club with Evan Longoria and, and below 500 without him. And, you, you know, John, Joe Madden doing the same things that he normally does, putting things together in the bullpen, getting interesting seasons from guys you wouldn't expect, and that, you know, they're the next team that hopes that uh, Escobar can keep it together for for a whole season before pissing everybody off. It's, uh... Yeah, hoping that there's life left in James Loney, who's a great defensive first baseman, but hits like seven homers a year at a power position. You know, which is basically which is basically what they did a couple of years ago with Casey Kochman, if you remember, who ended up having a great year, then it went to the Indians. It, it's it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Of course, we haven't even gotten to maybe what is the most interesting. How do you feel about Tampa Bay? Do you think in a division like this, it's 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 going to be packed? I mean, they I don't see a team getting yeah, there's a little room for yeah. Yeah, you know, if Tampa Bay doesn't have the offense to supplement their pitching, uh, Alex Cobb last night looked amazing, as, as you might expect. So, the dearth of pitching is obviously there. It, it's just going to be interesting if, if they can score enough runs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know if they uh, officially replace. No, you know, and but you know, there's always some magic with the Rays and certain guys. I mean, Kelly Johnson, awful, awful for like three years now. Uh, he gets a two-run homer last night. You know, no big deal. He break, breaks the game open a little bit. Goes from a one-nothing to three-nothing lead. They cruise from there on out. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there, stranger things have happened. They've they've turned Ben Zobrist into one of the most versatile players in the entire league. It's I, you got to believe in them a little bit. Uh, ball of I love Madden. I, I just I, I don't know. I, I just you know you were mentioning about the health earlier. Uh, who knows if one of those guys gets hurt? Yeah, but, that, that's that's going to be a big deal. I mean, if, if well, health is health in baseball is even more important. Mm-hmm. And, and specifically in the starting rotations. If you have a starting rotation that gets, it stays healthy and everyone gets 30 starts, you usually make the playoffs. That's basically the rule in baseball. Uh, you're going to make the playoffs something like 90% of the time. So if Tampa Bay keeps that rotation together and there's no hiccups, 
you got to start thinking about them. But then there's still Baltimore and Toronto. So let's talk about Baltimore before we get to the new age 2013 uh, Florida Miami slash Blue Jays. Um, the Orioles, of course, everyone knows it. They love Buck Showalter. They believe in him. They've got like nine starters that are all the same, and they just hope that they get the right five to pitch well. They're going to hit a bunch of homers. Uh, they've got Manny Mikado. You know, they've got all these little things going on, and then, of course, you're going to see regression in their one-run one games. No one's going to set a record again for a winning percentage in one-run one games. Baltimore has to still be considered right in this mix, I think. People seem to be writing them off. People want to talk about Tampa Bay. They want to talk about Toronto. They want to talk about the Yankees figuring it out and somehow doing it. Not a lot of people talk about the Orioles. And then you get things like the, how they've started. Chris Davis just turns into a golden god. Well, the average fan you probably can't, you can't name anybody on the Orioles fishing staff except for uh, their closer, Jim Johnson. So, I mean, that's, that's why that notion is like that. Hey, I can name Chris Tillman and uh, Jason Hamill. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> see, see, I can do it. Why, why can't anybody else? No, it, <laughs> it, they're an interesting team. I, I, look, they are going to regress in some ways, but I, I've kind of got a feeling about them a little bit. Uh, finally, in that division, we've got Toronto, which is definitely the Miami Marlins version 2013. Uh, they add Ari Dickey, they add Josh Johnson, they add Mark Burley, they dig up Darren Oliver again, they're the team that's doing that this year, Jose Reyes, Emilio Bonifacio, Mesa Ruturas, and Melky Cabrera. So they love roids, they like the Marlins, and they like knuckleballs. I, I really like this team. I know they, uh, they struggled so far. I don't think that means anything. I think this team's going to take about 50 games for it to get right and mesh. But uh, I really like this team. They're going to mesh. I am not... I'm not convinced that being the Marlins over, over again, obviously they have more depth of talent behind the Marlins that they got. I'm not convinced on the rotation. You just, I, I love R.A. Dickey. It, it hurt me as a Mets fan when he left. But it is true that, you know, knuckleball pitchers have blips in the radar. There's almost none without them that go, you know, there's almost no knuckleballers that go five years of dominance. There's always something in there that's just gone, you know, for a season, and, and it's unexplainable. You know, Tim Wakefield dealt with that in, like, 1999, he dealt with it again in 2005, and then he came back. You know, it, it's it's going, probably going to happen at some point, especially in something like the AL East. So I agree that they are an excellent team on paper, and if they do put it all together, they are the juggernaut of this division. Um, but not every team that's set up like this uh, puts it all together. And some of these teams like this, they, they blow up in your face. You know, so 
we'll see. But again, obviously, on paper, this team should mash. They have speed now. And if that rotation is pitching well, then you've got several different types of pitchers that are going to confuse a team on a weekend. You got the knuckleballer, then you got the hard thrower, and then you got Mark Burley. You know, so, yeah, I, they can be the team that puts it all together. Moving on to the... Uh, yeah, we go to the, the Central now? Yeah, sure. Uh, or, yeah, go ahead. What do you got on the Central? What do you find interesting there? Um, I find it real interesting that Jose Valverde uh, may be uh, holding the key to that division once again. But is he? I mean, okay, let's say... That, I don't know. I mean, we went so far and been using some bizarre combinations out of the bullpen, using different guys, using guys for three or four in phase. He's just, like, hoping and praying that Valverde gets, gets back in, like, two weeks after they just signed him. Yeah, that was interesting when he used Drew Smiley, who, by the way, pitched four perfect innings for the save. But... <laughs> Um, what I'm saying, though, is with the flaws of the rest of these teams have in the division, uh, so what if the, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to matter if the Tigers go 62% in their save situations or something. I, I really don't, I'm really not sure. I mean, people are forgetting about the Tigers, and I didn't hear a lot of people say this. They got Victor Martinez back this year. They didn't need to bring in anybody besides Torrey Hunter. They were already getting Victor Martinez back. So they just made that lineup even more potent. And now their rotation, I mean, Scherzer looks like he's turned a corner. You know, he was, I think he was second in the league last year uh, in strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, it, just things you wouldn't expect. And now... Anibal Sanchez, you know, they overpay for him, but he's a guy who never misses a start. He's solid. He's going to win 55% of his starts, you know, all that type of stuff. So it's really hard to find a weakness besides closer, and I understand the idea that with a closer, you need a mentality. You know, you need people feel like you need that one guy that has that mentality, and he knows his role, and every reliever... Jim Leland might be so old school here that he could figure something out, something like this out. If this was another manager, if the, let's say this was Eric Wedge, I'd say this team would finish last. <laughs> but this is not Eric Wedge. This is Jim Leland. I have a feeling that he's got a way to figure this out. And Look, yeah, okay, dust off Valverde, put him in AAA, he says he's in shape, let him prove it, and if he looks like the guy, give him a shot. Who cares? You know, they obviously didn't trust Bruce Rondon enough to keep him with the squad. So, fine. <laughs> but but I ask you this. If they can't convert their saves to league average, who's going to beat them in that division? Probably uh, I mean, the, I think the Indians are the most interesting team. Forget about the Royals. They still have too many starting rotation uh, questions, and they're still thinking that Jeff Francoeur might be the answer uh, in right field, which makes no worldly sense. Yeah. 
Jeff Francoeur is a defensive replacement from the seventh inning on, and no more. And you know, and he started out as a Brave, so I disliked him. Then he became a Met, and then he had that he had that thing where he started making friends with all the fans. And I heard about this, and I realized he's a good guy. I, I would actually root for Jeff Francoeur now, but let's be honest. He's a seventh-inning defensive replacement, and he's starting for a team right now. Kansas City might be interesting next year or the year after that. I don't think this is the year that they're interesting. They might be interesting enough to go 500, but with what they're hoping to have happen perfectly, I don't know. Plus, how do you, I still can't figure out how you trade Will Myers, who's the American League version of Mike Stanton, Oh, I'm sorry, Giancarlo. My bad. It's just that, you know, I uh, can't get used to that one. For two years of James Shields. They're not going to keep James Shields after next year. He's going to get a big deal since he's a workhorse, and he's going to go somewhere else. So they're buying two years of James Shields and hoping that he's part of a window that happens right now. I don't... Boy, the Royals have not been good at long-term thinking for a while now. Now I really don't think they're good at short-term thinking either. Not really. I mean, this yeah, is, I mean, I, I have been pretty sure they haven't been a series, but that's I think the Indians are very interesting, but they still have, don't have enough starting pitching. Uh, I think their offense is going to be actually pretty good. I mean, they're struggling against the Rays this weekend, but you know, you can't look at you know short samples in, in baseball, but well, we knew they were going to strike out of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you add Mark Reynolds, Drew Stubbs, even uh, Michael Bourne, and Nick Swisher, yeah, you're adding 600 strikeouts to your lineup there. Depending on how much Stubbs plays, if Stubbs plays, oh man, you can get you can get to 650 uh, uh, right there alone. All they need is a couple Astros, and they break the record. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're an interesting team. You know, Trevor Bauer was uh, very entertaining to watch last night. You can see how that kid's going to be good someday. Seven walks, walks the first four batters of the game, then somehow gets out of it. It just, uh, he's interesting. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's something to watch, and he's still only 22. Um, so, you know, at least, I'll put it this way. Trevor Bauer's future probably looks at least better than all. No one. Uh, we have to talk about this. Did anybody win the Obado Jimenez deal? Yeah, that's uh, pretty flat line that I ever crossed. Uh, Alex White, uh, he he got a D, right? Alex White, what? He got a DUI, then he made it to the majors, had an ERA of over five. And now he's getting Tommy John surgery. Drew Pomeranz, who started his career as looking like a number two starter for the Indians, now he's barely sticking on. He's back in the minors now. And we all know Jimenez has an ERA over five since joining the Indians. You know, for all the, and I ripped that trade when it happened, you know, I, I was wrong. I should have just said no one's going to win this crappy deal. <laughs> Man, it just ended up really badly. Um, 
The White Sox, I, I think Minnesota, I think is going to finish last. The White Sox, they they're probably the biggest wild card, right? You, you don't know where they're going to finish. Yeah, I mean they they got Snell uh, and Peavy there, and that's that's a lot better than most teams have, and uh, you know then we'll just see what the tour can do with the rest of their team. Yeah, you know, but you know if Adam Dunn falls off again, you know <laughs> their only other major signing was uh, Jeff Keppinger, so. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's amazing that I have to start talking about them, uh, lamenting the fact that they lost Phil Humber and Kevin Euclid, but uh, we might. Now, A.O. West. Now, that's, uh, this is two at the top, three at the bottom, right? I mean, is this... Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't need to talk about the Astros even though we have already. But, uh, I, mean, I, I forget that before the season started, they went 40 games. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, the 62 Mets or the 1999, 1899 Cleveland Spiders. But I, yeah, I don't have them winning a ton <laughs> either. I, I just don't. I mean, we, we win some games that Martin Martin's pitching, and, You're not believing that uh, Carlos Pena is going to carry this team? Yeah, Carlos Pena and uh, God knows uh, Matt Domingo and Chris Carter and uh, just awful. Well, I mean, look, Carter was pretty good when he played with the Vikings, but I mean, isn't he a little old for baseball? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. He, he struck out seven of the first eleven of this Okay, yeah, and you baseball dorks. I know Chris Carter is a former athletic who was a power <laughs> prospect for them, but I had to make the joke. I couldn't help it. Um, yeah, I don't... Boy, they, they, they will hit some homers every now and then, but, but they just hit their uh, second of the whole season last night. So I don't know, maybe not. Uh, the A's, they're going to mash. Uh, I i don't see them having the Cinderella story again. I, I do think they're going to hit the ball a little bit, but overall, I, I find this to be an Angels in Texas division. And I, the biggest question is, I, I think the only way that Oakland can sneak back in is if Texas really has problems on offense this year. This is the first time in five or six seasons that there's been any question about the Texas offense. Uh, but this year, you've got to have a little bit of concern, right? And what's the feel down there about that? Um, you're right. I mean, I watched a lot of the games in that series with the Astros, and uh, you know, you're basically hoping that uh, Krasinski and Bergman could uh, replace the uh, uh, most of the offense that they lost, and uh, you know, we don't know if that's feasible. Yeah, it really. So, uh, 
not being able to get Justin Upton, I, th- I think, really hurt them. And they tried to get him. I, 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 I don't quite understand how that didn't work out, you know, with some sort of deal. Well, offseason, you know, all that going on and going right, and they still don't figure out what's going on there. For people who don't know what they have heard some of their decisions. You want to? For people that don't know, you're you're the best one to give this. I, I understand a, a lot of it, but why don't you give the run? To, I mean, there's basically a stare down between John Daniels and, and Nolan Ryan. Is that correct? Yeah, and they're like the like the third week in March. Daniels uh, was officially named the, the the president and GM of the team, and now uh, Ryan. They want to see if he wants to take, like, uh, uh, you know, a CEO type role, but uh, he doesn't want to be a figurehead. He wants to contribute or get the hell out. Well, I mean, I guess I can understand uh, that you you probably don't want to piss off Nolan Ryan. (laughs) I think there's probably a rule in there that, Nolan Ryan is not actually allowed to hold any baseballs within a hundred feet of John Daniels's office. <laughs> he just might get the idea of just firing one right in there. But uh, you know, there are there are some questions swirling around, and that certainly didn't help things. And perhaps there's miscommunication there that led to some uncertainty. Uh, you know, obviously they weren't going to give up Profar to get to get Upton, but they could have given up something like Mike Holt or something. You know, they, they might have been able to do a deal out around him, since Holt is, I don't know, he seems to be blocked a little bit. So, especially Beltre. So, it, it's going to be interesting if they can figure that all out. Obviously, it looks like you Darvish. You know, he got a lot better as the season went on last year, and, and of course we know that he lost a perfect game in the ninth inning. The first guy to do so since Jim Joyce blew the call against Armando Garraga. And uh, that was a fun game. To, I, I actually watched a replay of that game after it happened, and that, that, was, a, that was a fun thing to do. Uh, just seeing how disgusting his, whatever he calls it, but I'm pretty sure it's just a slider, but it was disgusting in that game. If he's throwing like that, they're still going to reel off a bunch of wins, but you know, there's going to be questions about this offense all year. Uh, with the Angels, it's the opposite. There is no question about the, the Angels' offense. That is disgusting how they can start the game. You know, their fifth hitter, after you get through Poles, Hamilton, and Trout, you know, the fifth hitter, a lot of times, is going to be Trumbo, who's got the ability to hit 30 homers and 480 at-bats. So, but do they have the pitching? I don't think they do. No, I, um, I mean, Joe Blanton and some of the other guys with the better rotation, I mean, uh, uh, I know you said you didn't think Oakland was, was going to do it again, but uh, I think I think they're going to finish higher than the Angels. Really? Okay. Well, when we get to the final predictions, that'll be, that'll be cool to hear. Um, yeah, that's... I don't know. I, I just think in that division, when they're going to be able to feast, uh, all these teams are going to be able to feast on those two bad teams at the bottom where the Mariners are... <laughs> You know, they've got to feel, 
I watched Felix Hernandez play, but that's about it. Yeah, Michael Moore said, like, five home runs out there. Well, they, they need that, and they need another of that. Uh, I mean, they, they need Justin Smoke to be what he was supposed to be. You know, they need stuff like that to happen. But, yeah. you know, and, and Wilhelmson, uh, you know, a nice little closer to have in fantasy. But uh, other than that, uh, there's not much to talk about with the Mariners, in, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a fun division to see if, only if Oakland starts finding a way to sneak back in and and that offense continues to to just rake around Reddick and, and, and Cespedes. And, and they could. I mean, I'm not saying they can't. I just... When you're a, a smaller market team in, 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 the re, in the realm of everything, when you have one Cinderella season, unless you start having the model of the Rays, I'm not going to believe you the season after. That's just sort of like a rule of men. Like, no two Cinderella seasons in a row. And if it happens, then I believe that then I look at your team model and then I start thinking, okay, well, maybe they, they have it, you know. And that's how I felt about the Rays. You know, the first time the Rays contended, I was like, ah, I don't know how this is going to continue. And then you saw how they were doing it, and then you're like, oh, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. They have a probably the first or second smartest manager in the entire league. They have great pitching coaches, and uh, they have a great, they have a great ballpark for what they're doing with the team. So, you know, you, you put it all together like that. The A's, I'm not ready to do that. If they do it this year, yeah, okay, I'll buy in. Uh, NL East. There is, this is another division where, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, two good teams and, and, and three bad teams, in my opinion. Uh, I, I've yeah, watched, I think the standings in that division, how they are right now, only after the week. But I, I think the standings in that division is exactly how that division is going to end up. Uh, Nationals, Braves, Mets, uh, I'm sorry, Phillies, uh, Mets, Phillies, uh, Marlins right now. And, right. And I've watched, the, I've watched every Met game. Um I will get this out of the way, folks. I won't all take a few minutes. The summation of the Mets season is this. We hope that there is no huge injury to David Wright or Matt Harvey. That is it. Anything else is gravy. Uh, we're not expecting more, much more than 70 wins. We're not expecting anything like that. The pitching staff is going to be good. Uh, Dylan G and Jonathan Neese are two good starters that you've never heard of. And, and Matt Harvey, find a way to watch him. Find him on the pitcher schedule and just watch him. He is a old-school power guy. Uh, beautiful. Just makes me think of Gooden and Seaver and, and, and names like that. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. I watched all the starts last year. I like what I, he was dominant in spring training. I know you don't usually take that into account. And then he goes ahead and strikes out 10 guys in his first start of the season. I think the Phillies, boy, their pitching has to be perfect. And, and they've got to, uh, are you concerned about Holiday? Yeah, I mean, you know, he had some injuries last year, and then, you know, in his first start this year, I think he did 
strike out nine. So yeah, he still has the ability to put guys away, but when he's not playing guys away, he's, he's getting hit pretty good. So, well, uh, he's kind of turning into Mark Burley. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah. He's like a right-handed Mark Burley right now. I mean, he's throwing mid-80s with his fastball, and then everything else is just junk. I mean, he's throwing, he's throwing, and his junk's good. I mean, his junk has always been good. That's that's why, you know, when he was the pitcher that was spotting his fastball, that's why you couldn't touch him because he'd be able, he'd be able to tail the ball and spin the ball. You know, he'd do little things that just completely screw with your head. I don't think he could do that anymore, uh, and he's going to have a tough year adjusting unless some magic comes back and. Look, this is a new era of baseball where there's still a lot of guys juicing, but there's not as many as before. Uh, so you see a lot of players actually getting old at 35, 36, you know. So I, I've got to be concerned if I'm a Phillies fan. I don't think that offense is very good. I mean, Howard looks like he's going to be bouncing back. Utley looks like he's bouncing back. But you have to question how long are those guys going to be on the field? Yeah, I mean, Chris Lee might be traded by June at this point, and then whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cliff Lee, no stranger to the deadline deal. <laughs> I think I think Cliff Lee basically just packs around July fifteenth. He just says, "Honey, get the house together. We're probably moving again." <laughs> no stranger at all, but. And that might happen again, especially if the Phillies are 11 games out or something like that, and I think they will be. They're, for the top teams of this, the Marlins, do we even mention them? They should be an interesting team. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't, yeah, they're right there the Astros, Well, you can watch them for Jose Hernandez. He was making his first Major League start today at a 1.75 ERA Cuban defector. He... He might be something to watch. Yeah? Okay. Okay, I'm getting right. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. Stanton is not a reason to watch. Uh, I've watched the uh, Marlins-Mets series. Stanton, not a reason to watch. Um, all they're doing with Mike Stanton uh, this year is they're throwing him fastballs inside uh, and up. And if he doesn't swing, they say, fine, we're just going to walk you. Uh, so... Those people predicting 50 homers for Mike Stanton, they forgot to look at the lineup around him and, and what teams are going to do uh, to him so he's not the guy. So Yeah, they're, they're totally the infielders are 90 year old police, the Blanco, and Greg Dobbs. Greg Dobbs is their cleanup hitter right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. If the Braves... Braves look real good, and I, I I did these predictions about a week and a half ago, and it's probably just my personal dislike for the Braves. I probably couldn't, I probably couldn't get rid of all emotion uh, when doing the picks when when concerning the Atlanta Braves. It's just just too much for my whole entire life being tortured by that team. So I, I just. I think I undersold this team in my head a little bit because, wow, they look really good. And, and Hayward hasn't even really got anything yet. And they're playing Evan Gaddis, a, a catcher who's 
who is a great story, but I don't find that guy to be Brian McCann in any way, shape, or form. And Mike Right, right, I know. I'm just saying, they're doing this, and they, they've got that, and then they, look, Hayward hasn't hit, McCann isn't back yet, and they just look amazing. I mean, Tim Hudson either went to Germany for that blood-spitting machine, or they need to test him a little bit more. <laughs> no personal bias there at all. Um, Mike Miner looks just amazing. As long as they manage the bullpen like they did last year and not how they did two years ago, this this is a team in contention. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I have uh, Jeff Lee made in a playoff spot and probably ending that with a, a better record than a few of the division winners. Yeah. But the Nationals... Again, barring something catastrophic, there's no Yeah, there's no hole in this team at all. They have power, they have speed. All those people that that's one of the makes themselves sound smart and say Bryce Harper is gonna be good this year. Uh, they're gonna be right because this look, the guy hits like Mel Ott at age nineteen. He's not gonna have He's not going to have Mike Trout's stolen base numbers from last year, uh, but I think he's going to beat the homers and RBIs that Mike Trout had at age 20. And we are going to constantly, again, barring something catastrophic, I think we're going to constantly compare. This is going to be an argument for the rest of our lives of which age 20 season was more impressive, this year for Bryce Harper or last year for Mike Trout. And, boy, it, there was a uh, NL scout who told Buster only that he was watching Harper all off season. I mean, all spring training and, and what he looked like, and he and he called his sprint, his swing something like controlled violent aggression. <laughs> so, <laughs> to me, that sounds something spectacular, and you know. I can't wait to end this podcast in time so I can go see uh, Strasburg pitch today against Cueto. But, we'll, and we'll beat that time. Just that, yeah, the Nationals really good. NL Central, this, again, looks like a, I don't know, <laughs> uh, two-horse race, maybe? Sell me on your, okay. Do we agree that the Reds are the most complete team in the division, or are you going to sell me on your Cardinals? No, I, I, I really don't like the Cardinals this year. I, I have been finishing third, maybe second, but uh, right now I have finishing third. Um, you had a like what you saw from Shelby Miller yesterday, though. Yeah, it's just, you know... Uh, arguably, some of the best pitchers in the National League in uh, the last couple years of uh, Carpenter and Roche uh, aren't there anymore. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. What? And, uh, their depth isn't what it was uh, the last couple of years because of all of a sudden, uh, Screen train, Rafael Farcal, so they need Tommy John surgery, and that just completely messes up their bench. So you weren't excited for a full year of Pete Cosma? 
No. Okay. <laughs> He's a fun little player, but uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not sold on this uh, St. Louis team myself. Again, I, I I agree with you as they've they've opened up just a few too many holes, and even though I think Matheny is going to solidify himself as the next guy to manage for twenty straight years with a team, I just don't think this is a year. You know, let, let's talk about uh, you said mentioned Kyle Loesch. Let's talk about the Brewers real quick. Now it looked like when they got Loesch uh, that this team might be able to put it together, but now Aramis Ramirez is on the 15-day DL, and Ryan Braun has got some sort of neck spasm. Which, <laughs> boy, you you get you know you start hearing weird things like neck spasms, and, and now he's mentioned twice in PED scandals. You, you're gonna have to wonder. At what point does that eventually start affecting his production? And this is, you know, this is a 30-30 guy, you know, who bats 330. Just, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I started believing in the Brewers a little bit, and I started really thinking about it more, and I, I still not sold on them either. I just... Yeah, I mean, Ben Ramirez injury instead of seven. I mean, they... Let's say they go five and ten and he's out. I mean, where does that put them in the division? I mean, they're already without Hart, uh, Gamble, and, uh, and now Ramirez. And I feel for Matt Gamble. Uh, that kid looked like the real deal, and now he is for the second year in a row just dealing with a, a bad injury. Uh, you got to feel for something like that. And, you know, the fans of the Brewers, they should be upset, too, because you, you could think about what this lineup could look like right now, um, and then you'd be feel, feeling a lot more confident about that, that shaky starting rotation. But at this point, you take you take those guys out of the lineup, uh, you, start, uh, you start cowering for the uh, tornado shelter at that point. All right, you know... Next interesting team in the division, I would say, is the uh, the Pirates. A lot of a lot of people think that this is the year that they're going to finally get above five hundred. And that, well, tell me what you think first. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. If if I knew this team was going to score runs. And I, I knew that they were, uh, by the way, they have the least amount of the runs in the league in the, after the first week, even less than the Astros. Uh, but they run into, you know, amazing pitching. Nonetheless, if I knew this team was going to score runs, I would be very, very confident in them actually competing for a wild card spot. And if I knew that I was going to get second halves from Garrett Cole and Jamison Tallion, bring them both up, and seeing 10 or 11 good starts out of them, if I knew that was going to happen, I'd have a lot of confidence. I, I Look, I understand the rules about arbitration and all that very, very, very well. I think about the, but I think with the amount of money that baseball makes and the amount of money these teams are making, I don't think it hurts you that much, especially if you are smart enough to follow the, if you follow the idea of just getting the guy up getting him to produce for a year, year and a half, and then signing him to that long-term 60, 60, you know, six-year, $60 million deal, like the Rays did with Evan Longoria. You know, when you do those types of things, you can forget about, you know, keeping a guy down. 
when you have questions at the back end of your rotation like the Pirates have, I don't see any reason. When you see what this Garrett Cole is, I don't know why he's not already in the majors. I'm sorry. I, I'm in the minority of this opinion. I know that. Or I seem to be from what I read. But that's what you do. You get these young kids up at the right time, when, when they're, and you can do it when they're still developing a little bit. You get them to produce. Get them face fire. If, and if they can do it, they do it for a year and a half. You ignore the arbitration. You sign them long term. What am I getting wrong there? We're getting anything wrong, but uh, teams are just scared to death of what happened at Strasburg uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, the Nationals were definitely brought him up at the right time, and he was dominating, and then he blew out his arm. So now teams are really, uh, really scared to bring up the prospects, even though they probably should. No, you know, and that's one of the most cowardice, like, it's almost like Bud Selig has instilled his soul into the GMs of, of, of the entire league because that's such a cowardly way to handle things, in my opinion. I can't stand it. I, I know that's the standard. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I, I believe in Tin Snap, which is there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. So when you think you got one, go for it. The only and we see all these things like Tom Verducci, and we we see him talking about jumps in innings. Well, guess what? There was a big essay proving Verducci wrong, and that Verducci, just like for a lot of other things, was being very selective with the way he was picking players when he would write his report each year. So, my with that pair that with the belief that I don't think there is anything such thing as a pitching prospect until you've got a starting pitcher, and pair that with the idea that. Pitchers get hurt all the time, but the only predict the real predictor of injury is previous injury, and and it sounds weird, but but it's true, and that that's that part is something that has been studied in depth. The only thing, so you don't know. Basically, the idea is you don't know what injuries are going to happen, but when it finally happens to your guy, the prediction of it happening again increases. As soon as it happens the first time. So, sorry to tell you, Nationals fans, and I'm upset by this too, but it's very likely that Steven Strasburg is going to have an on-again, off-again career, and he's going to be dominant. He might be Rich Harden. He might be something like that. Or he might be one of the lucky ones that doesn't get hurt again. But something around 70 80% of the guys that get hurt one time and have a major injury as a pitcher, they spend time on the DL again. Uh, for a significant period of time in their career. It's fact. It's just how it works. I'm sorry it works that way, but that's how it works. So I don't believe in any of this. I believe you get the guy, you bring him up. The Mets are doing it with Matt Harvey. You know, and, and, and like I said, I just hope he doesn't blow his arm out. I hope he doesn't have that first injury that predicts future injury. So I just don't believe it. So if I, with the Pirates, if I knew that they were going to get 10-11 starts from each Jamison Talion and Garrett Cole. I would love this team. I would love this team. Right now, I can't love this team. I just, I can't. Yeah, I mean, they need some more hitting, too. So, I mean, they just need guys. even if those guys are off, you have no idea what the Rams going to do. 
you know, they, they need Garrett Jones to be a little bit better. They need Marte to develop. They need uh, McCutcheon to be an MVP candidate like he normally should be. I mean, he's that talented. They need Pedro Alvarez to not start slow every damn year. You know, they need those sorts of things to happen. Uh, but you, you, if you had dominant pitching, and I'm not sold on A.J. Burnett doing it two years in a row. I, some people are. I, I respect that, but... I'm not. So, he always comes in with some really weird uh, injury, too. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen at some point. Uh, the Cubs, we can say uh, there's serious talks of actually renovating Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. And just some margin, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, you watch him for that. And that's that's about it. Give him, give him time. Or just watch him and just see where they trade uh, Soriano to at the trade deadline. I, I think that actually happens this year, but now that they're finally running off the last parts of that deal. So, I don't know to who or how much they actually get for him, but, you know, if he's got those normal power numbers that he has at the trade deadline, I, you know, I think he finally goes this year. Perhaps he'll go back to the Yankees. <laughs> he might. He might go back to the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me one bit. NL West, can the Red Tag Giants do it again? I have no idea about this division. Uh, I, I, I think the Dodgers will, uh, you know, their time will reign supreme at the end, but I have no idea about this division. Well, I can tell you this. The Padres and the Rockies suck. I can tell you that. As soon as the Padres lost Chase Headley, that 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 destroyed all hope I had for them. I'm not I'm not thinking they're going to get carried into any sort of a, a playoff run with uh, with Carlos Quentin. But and the Rockies just they're they're a mess. They're just wait oh, newsflash, folks. The Rockies have pitching problems. <laughs> Real shocking. <laughs> Never heard of that one. Yeah, I uh, I actually favor the Dodgers in this one. Uh, I the Giants have been doing this for three or four years now, and I at this point I just have to stop not believing them in some way. Uh, their starting pitchers had not given up a had not given up an earned run all season until Vogelsong did it yesterday. So, yeah, this team is good. They'll figure it out. They didn't even add anybody. They don't care. Barry Zito went out and threw seven and a third strong innings of all things, picking up where he left off from the playoffs last year. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, At this point, I, I just have to say that I have to believe in them now. And the wild card, I think, is the Diamondbacks. I mean, they lose Justin Upton, which... I don't. I get, they just decided they don't like him, or he, he didn't come back soon enough. There's a weird culture there where Kirk Gibson is. You get on like in his doghouse, and you're out of town. <laughs> I mean, that's just what's happening, and I, I don't think that's a healthy thing for a team. You, I just don't. <laughs> you, you, you end up losing a lot of talent that way. I, I don't know what. It, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they, 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 they might figure it out without us. Uh, you know, 
Well, better start figuring uh, out. This, 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 this division, uh, as far as the top three, is almost like the the, the LE, so you don't know what the hell's going to happen. I agree. So you, you better collect your thoughts, though, because uh, well, we're going to do our uh, division <laughs> rundowns now. So, uh, all right, the much-anticipated AL East, I, I, I went for it, man. I, uh, I got Baltimore winning the division at 89 and 73. New York making the playoffs at 88 and 74. Like I said, I preface that now with uh, now knowing that Jeter has no timetable and all that. I probably would have gone differently, even though, even though I did this just 10 days ago. But I still probably would have changed it by now. But I'm sticking with it. The, the, the Yankees figure it out. They get Alfonso Serriato and Cliff Lee at the, at the uh, All-Star break, and, uh, and they win 40 of their last 51 games. I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I got Tampa Bay in third at 86 and 76. I got Boston at 85 and 77. And as I said, I look, I know I'm going against everybody on this one, but event, every year there's a team that everyone believes in, that a lot of people believe in, and they fail. So I went ahead and I went with Toronto. I have them at 75 and 87, somehow not figuring it out. All right, what do you got? Uh, I have the opposite of that. Okay. I got uh, Toronto winning the division. Um, I, did, I didn't attach records to my prediction. I just oh, did the right. placement in the playoffs. That's fine. But, uh, I have uh, Toronto winning the division. Baltimore second. Tampa Bay third. Uh, Boston. And then the Yankees are bringing up the rear. All right, AL Central, I've got Detroit at 90. I mean, that the Yankees, their whole season is on what if. I just, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, it never, uh, boy, I can't remember last time there was this many questions about a Yankees team. Uh, you might really have to go back to something like 92, 93, 94. Uh, I, I don't know. I agree with that. It. And, you know, now I am very nervous about that prediction, but oh well. It's done. It's gone. Um, AL Central. I got Detroit winning the division at 92 and 70. Cleveland in second at 85 and 77. Kansas City in third at 81 and 81. Chicago in fourth at 75 and 87. And Minnesota bringing up the rear at 68 and 94. Um, yeah, I got uh, Detroit. Chicago, Cleveland, KC, and Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Minnesota's number one pitcher is uh, Vance Wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not not good. Um. And, oh, the, the number two is what? Mike Pelfrey? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Trust me, you're not going to enjoy the Mike Pelfrey experience. I, I did that for the Mets for a while. It's not fun. AL West, I have the Angels winning at 95 and 67. I got Texas in second and making the playoffs at 89 and 73. 
Oakland at third at 79 and 83, Seattle and fourth at 73 and 89, and Houston at 55 and 107. <laughs> 55, I <was> there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got there? Um, I'm going to be a some people, but I got, uh, I got, uh, we're going to win the division. All right. Uh, Texas in second. Uh, the Eagles in third. Uh, and then the, uh, Mariners in Houston. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, actually we have, uh, the Rangers making the playoffs and the Angels not making the playoffs. Alright, alright. Uh, NL East, I've got uh, Washington winning the division at 162, um, the only 100-win team that I have. Atlanta, 88-74, Philadelphia, 80-82, and the Mets, 70-92, and the Marlins, 65-97. and um, I get the Nationals, the one, Braves, two, your Mets. Three, three, four, then the Marlins right up there. All righty. I've got the uh, the NL Central. I got the Reds at ninety-one and seventy-one, winning the division. And you might be glad to hear this, or hate to hear this, knowing on my luck. Uh, Cardinals making the playoffs at eighty-nine and seventy-three. Pittsburgh eighty-two and eighty, Milwaukee eighty-one and eighty-one, and the Cubs at seventy-one and ninety-one. Um, I have the Reds winning the division as well. Um, no other playoff teams coming out of this division. Uh, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and the Cubs, and uh, that finish. And uh, the other uh, wild card coming out of the NL West. Okay, and that's uh, NL West. I've got the Dodgers winning the division by at eighty nine and seventy three, winning it by one game over the Giants at eighty eight and seventy four, and I have the Giants winning a tiebreaker against the Braves uh, to make the playoffs over them. Then Arizona at eighty five and seventy seven. San Diego seventy four and eighty eight, Colorado sixty two and one hundred. My second hundred loss team. That's right, one one hundred win team, two one hundred loss teams in my prediction. Well, what do you have to tie to? Seventy four and eighty eight. Well, right. That was before the uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna have uh, the Dodgers winning the division. The Giants uh, come in second and getting a wild card. And the Diamondbacks third. Uh, Colorado and the Padres. Alrighty. Um, and your World Series. Um. Washington beating the Angels. The team that you don't have in the playoffs. 
baseball and folks uh, we're going to take another little break here away from other sports action and and talk about sports entertainment in honor of having a podcast on the night of uh, on the day of wrestlemania 29 we are going to go and go ahead and go down the card here and uh make predictions for you and uh you know, I was watching the uh, best uh, 50 best wrestling entrances of all time yesterday, so it really got me. It really got me stoked for tonight. It was it was awesome. You know, nothing like you know, some of the first time that you know Jericho comes out on Raw when Rock is talking in the wing and Y2J countdown stops. Uh, you got the walk to the ring, what was supposed to be Taker's last uh, WrestleMania match. Uh, all that stuff, just, oh, man, it really got me uh, really got me excited. So I said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and do this on the podcast. So first on the lineup card, The Miz versus Wade Barrett for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. What do you got? Um, they, they seem to want to do Miz the push, uh, uh, you know, Barrett's had that for a while now, so I, I think, uh, I think, uh, they give, uh, the Miz that win there. Well, you know, they got, uh, they got Barrett, you know, they have him being a little Mick, a little Rick Flairish, and, and the Miz just, you know, basically didn't turn babyface that long ago. I think they pushed the Miz as well. Uh, tons of funk and the funk of dactyls versus Team Road Scholars and the Bella Twins. Who you got? Team Road Scholars never seems to win, even though uh, yeah, those guys are pretty good. But uh, I'll, I'll say the Road Scholars win. <laughs> I want to give them the win just because of the Bella Twins. Gotta gotta be honest, <laughs> but uh, like you said, they don't seem to win. <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> and as far as what we're gonna get of these other matches, this is probably gonna be longer match. It's a space filler. Uh, I'll uh, I'll go with tons of funk winning this one in the in the funk of dactyls. Yeah, I just uh, I don't like. Uh... Prince Albert or uh, whatever, whatever, A-Train or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like them either. I, I like, I think the Rhodes Scholars <laughs> could be a really, I think they could be really good together, but, you know, like you said, they don't ever win. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Fandango. that this might be a, a, a spot where Jericho is the old guy who's just a, a great wrestler in the ring and he, he puts guys over the top. He makes things easy for young guys. 
I, I don't think they're going to have this guy lose his first match in the WWE. Uh, and I, I just, I'm going to take Fandango just because I feel like that's what they're going to do with this one. There you go. I, I don't like it. I want Jericho to win, but I, I just, uh, just too many things, in my opinion, are get added together there. Uh, then we got Team Hell No versus Dolph Ziggler and Big E Langston for the Tag Team Championship. What do you got? I am seeing Hell No retaining because, uh, uh, you know, that, that tag team there with uh, Langston and Ziggler, I mean, Ziggler uh, is eventually going to do something with that briefcase, and, uh, you know, he won't be able to be on a tag team for long. Yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Donald Ziggler and, and Big E though, and I I think it's gonna be I think you're gonna see something with AJ and Daniel Bryan. I just I'll see something like that go on. Uh, Ryback versus Mark Henry. Um, got Ryback there. I think. Uh... And the only loss he, he's had with his uh, new persona, because when he was coming up, he was a uh, skip Sheffield. Uh, the only loss he had was that the uh, referee hit him all the, and uh, lost his the impact. But uh, I have read that one as well. Yeah, I mean, Ryback, to me, feels like a, uh, a, a bigger crazier version of Rhino. Um, who I, I despised. <laughs> I mean, I, I love when Rob Van Dam would beat him in WC... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, when, when he would... When he ECW. Would, ECW, that's right. Uh, when, <laughs> I, I'm, but I'm going to take Ryback here. Uh, I just can't see Mark Henry winning at this stage of his career on a match like this. Um, we got Randy Orton, Sheamus, and the Big Show versus The Shield. I think I, I'll go first on this one. I, I think there's no way that Randy Orton, Sheamus, and The Big Show put it together for a whole match and get along. Uh, there's going to be some team dissension here, and The Shield's going to win this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh... But they basically have to have the shield win this because if they don't win, they're they're not relevant. I mean, uh, those guys aren't really. I'll think on an individual basis. Uh, you know, the, the the breakaway. Yeah, I, I agree. The only way that I, I see the shield losing is if that team dissension something somehow happens tomorrow night on Raw. And they get it right, you know, they, they get things going again right away. But this is WrestleMania. I, I don't see it happening that way. Uh, so, I, I yeah, I, a lot of reasons to go with the Shield here. All right, Alberto Del Rio versus Jack Swagger for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. They seem to want to give Swagger all the push. Uh, I guess uh, uh, he got uh, arrested a while back, and uh, uh, but he started getting a lot of publicity, and they brought in Jeff 
Victoria just because uh, they seem to be like the publicity. <laughs> I'll go the opposite way. I'll just I'll keep uh, I'll go with Alberto Rio, but Alberto Del Rio. But uh, I see your argument, so I won't be su- I won't be surprised either way on this one. But uh, I'm just gonna go with there uh, as Del Rio is now. You know, he's again and being he's now more of a face. So usually they try to continue that in some way. So I'll just I'll just go with that. But. I, it, this that one goes either way. Uh, this one I I, I think is uh, more obvious. But uh, Triple H and Brock Lesnar, what's your take? I I think this is obvious, but I'll I'll tell you. Uh, you let me know what you think. Yeah, I mean uh, I'm I'm gonna take uh, Lesnar, I guess, because uh, I don't know how much long Triple H wants to uh, wants to wrestle. And, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know what Lesnar's contract standard is, but, uh, but, uh, I think he'll be around a little longer. Is, isn't, uh, am I wrong, or isn't, if Triple H loses, this is a retire match, right? Is that, am, am I wrong? Yeah, but it's WWE, how oh. many, uh, how many times did Steve Austin supposedly get fired? Yeah, I, <laughs> I I don't see them doing that to Triple H. See, I, I think this is obvious for Triple H just because they can they can probably play this one into something bigger along the line. And I know that Triple H, I agree with you, I can't see him really wrestling that much longer. Um, but this match doesn't seem... Even though you know it's one of the three main matches, I don't see it as kind of like big enough for a way for him to go out. But you're right. I mean, he could lose, come back anyway, and then go out on a much bigger, uh, bigger send off. Um, I'll still take Triple H, but uh, I see what you're saying. And finally, uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's two more: uh, Undertaker and uh, CM Punk. Now. I find this very interesting. I don't see how they can take away Taker's streak here. But if you do it, and Punk is getting his way behind the scenes, one great way to give him a push back up and maybe go fight The Rock again eventually at SummerSlam or something like that would have him ending the streak, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't even decide Undertaker was going to come back from this one. You know, it it would make sense for Punk to win in a lot of aspects, but uh, Undertaker has so much respect in that locker room. I don't know if the the writers will make him lose. Yeah, I don't know either. I I I fight hard for. I guess I. And by the way, I said all that. I didn't actually give a prediction. Well, that's just a scenario that plays out that I could believe happens, but I'm still taking Taker. <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm still taking Taker. I can't help it. Um, and I assume you are, too. Yeah, I'll have him go 21 and 0, especially uh, Paul Bear dying uh, two or 
again, one of those little lines that might make it feasible for CM Punk. You know, they WWE hasn't been scared to be mean in the past, but I, I do doubt it that they do it with Taker. Uh, you know, they could say that with Bears lost, that he's lost his powers or something like that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I can see it happening, but again, with the, how much respect Taker has, it, it's hard to see it. it it's, it's hard to believe that's more than a 20% chance of happening, let me put it that way. Uh, and then finally, uh, the, the match that I guess everyone wants to see, but I personally don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm done with. I, I look very marketable stars, and they they do legitimately not like each other. So Rock and Cena, yeah, I get it. It makes a lot of sense for WWE, but I'm I'm Rock and Cena out. I'm just done. Uh, I suppose that I've got to uh, I got to pick something here. I'm going to take Cena because I think Rock goes away for, until he gets, like, another, you know, headline at SummerSlam or something. So, I'll, I'll take Cena. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one that's taking take there. Cena, there's, there's no way he could... I mean, he lost, and then they kept him as a title pitcher for a year because CM Clark had it for, like, 400-something days. Uh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Alright folks, uh, let's go back to your regular scheduled programming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a lot of fun. I haven't talked to a lot of good wrestling in a while. And, uh, and yesterday just took me back to our good old years of uh, Cooler's Extra Goal, uh, Cooler in the living room watching uh, Monday Night Raw. I will not say what our ages were. They were definitely of age, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not. And, uh, that's what cooler that's your goals. It was just funny since it was an alcohol. <laughs> and we were wondering why we were getting messed up so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good, that was good <laughs> stuff. Uh, bad stuff is uh, what's going on as we end this podcast with uh, two things involving NCAA and and, and uh, one the model American. Let's first let's talk about real real quickly here uh, as we're uh, nearing the one and a half hour mark, folks. Um, Auburn. Someone maybe named me maybe two years ago said that. The Cam Newton thing wasn't the last we would ever hear about Auburn. Um, then you had the real sports of Brian Gumble stuff, you know, some shady reporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is Smoker's fire? Okay. The Just remind everybody, again, of, of, a, of a fact here that if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard this before. You heard it once two years ago. You heard it about a year and a half ago again on a uh, podcast about the NCAA and my gripes on their hypocrisy. The NCAA, when the Cam Newton thing went down, had to try to make us believe that only the father knew about an offer of money to go to Ole Miss. Somehow, presumably right in the other room, the son... Never had any idea. So then, therefore, could not have committed anything. By the way, this was as he was having a great season and Auburn was winning a national title. 
I mentioned back then that you might not hear any more about Cam Newton, but you will hear more about Auburn in the future. And guess what happened this week? We heard more of the same type of allegations going on at Auburn, and it doesn't surprise me at all. If you are winning in college football, as I proved on another podcast, that technically... Just below half of the last 32 champions of the college football were eventually put under sanctions in some way, shape, or form. This, by the way, would make it exactly half if we got Auburn in there. Um, so there you have it. It's 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 a whole scam. It's a crock. It's a mess. It's terrible. Auburn is just another university. Look. Here's how you know that you're being successful as an NCAA program. You're in the news for violations. That's how you know. You're in the news for violations and or arrests. That's that's how you know. Because those are the only, the only schools that are in those the, in the news. So, Blatter, tell me just tell me how thrown aback were you? Uh, as you can replay the podcast as well, I was, uh, I, I was, uh, pretty well, uh, hitting, hitting that point about Auburn as well. And, uh, you know, having the NCAA saying bidding was ineligible for a 24 hour period and then going ahead and clearing them eligible again before the FCC title game. Uh, Mr. Bazaar and uh, uh, you get to see how horrible uh, Auburn's been since uh, Newton and Nick Fairley and all those guys have left. And let's, and, throw, uh, let's throw in the whole Miami investigation where, where basically all the lawyers involved for the NCAA should be disbarred. <laughs> gaining information that they cannot legally obtain in legal ways, that is reason to disbar. And these are all lawyers. All these people that are doing this for the NCAA are lawyers. So, how could I possibly believe uh, this, this body that's supposed to sanction itself and govern itself? Is, how am I supposed to believe them if they're handling that? And, and how am I supposed to not think that they somehow did something wrong in the Auburn investigation, too. They have no credibility. The entire the entire collegiate athlete system, which is a completely made-up word, made-up word back in 1973 to get past antitrust exemptions, and they actually use the word successfully against any uh, in, in, in uh, testimony with the U.S. government. Ridiculous. There is no credibility. It's all gone. There is nothing left. Nothing. I, I have no hope in college sports at all. None. <laughs> Not everyone is doing it. Not everyone does it to the same level. But you're going to find something everywhere if you really tried. It's just... Whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, who cares if they take away the hardware, too? Because... No one looks at it that way. I mean, no one... When you look in the history books, you look at the national championship game and you see who won it. Or you see who finished one in the polls. 
just the fact that they start they've now started this thing where they take away championships and crap. Uh, it just makes it even more of just just a joke. Just a joke. Absolute joke. No, no, no. I don't it, know. It's made me like college sports a lot less. It just it just has. I, I just don't enjoy it like I used to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just get a laugh when this stuff comes out, you know. College football, college basketball is a big business to them. That's, that's all it is. You know? and, and, the, and, and, and do not get me wrong. All this stuff behind the scenes. The universities themselves have every reason to protect those big businesses. And their big business is men's college football and men's college basketball. Those pay for the rest of their student programs. And all but just a few universities, something like 20 universities, still lose money on all of college sports. As soon as men's football and men's college basketball, and I don't know why I say men's football, football and men's college basketball are threatened, they will do whatever it takes to protect. It, this is this is big business. This is big scam. This is big time. Back of the board, you know, this is scuzzy boardroom Enron crap that we, we get to see because it's so obvious. That's what that is. That's what all of this is, Okay. We can forget about the rest, folks. <laughs> and we can forget about uh, Mike Rice having a job for a while as a college basketball coach. Former Rutgers coach is the Model American of the Week. And it's not like, uh, from what I understand, reading be between the lines and behind the lines, and, 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 uh, and uh, it seems like there are more of this I'm, I'm trying to phrase this right. Rice deserved to get fired, okay? But it does seem like there was a certain culture with the team where they were kind of used to this. And they kind of gave it back to the coach even a little bit. It was interesting that some former players came out and, 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 and said the same type of things. But obviously, when a video like this gets released, you got to fire the guy. Now, I don't think it should have been a, a, a firing of just all the way down the line like they did. But I, I guess the lesson here for the model American, in my opinion, is this is a new world where 1950s, uh, 1950s coaching tactics, they don't work anymore. You're just not even allowed to do them. You know, these types of things with the Bobby Knights and, and, and other coaches that were either physical or berating and that sort of thing. You're going to be able to get away with some of it. But in the, when you have something that's obviously going on for a long time where videos can surface and that sort of thing, it's just not going to work anymore. It's the same thing in pro sports. I mean, the guys that eventually don't stick around, um, the only guys that are even able to attempt like disciplinary styles are guys that find success and have sustained success. Guys like Greg Popovich, he can get away with it. Phil Jackson could get away with it. But that's the only way. A guy who's coaching basketball at Rutgers, 
You're not going to get away with it. You, you're the women's basketball coach at Old Dominion. You're not going to get away with it. And by the way, that's not a story. That's just an example. I have no idea who that guy is. A girl. I, woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, I have no idea who coaches the women's basketball team for Old But if you're that stature or coach, you're, it's not going to happen. You better have a very good cover-up process. Uh, not allow cell phones during practice in any way, shape, or form. Or have just such a culture of fear that no one would ever think of making a video. But in general, this doesn't work anymore. It just does not work. So the lesson of the model American is, if you're going to be a disciplinarian, you better have success first, and then maybe you can get away with it. Don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, don't get caught either. Yeah, don't allow someone to make a video. That that's probably good. I mean, it's, it's one thing to carry on and throw care in the locker room, but you know, when you're doing all those stuff and then in practice and it's visible to everybody for three or four hours a day, uh, some somebody's gonna record something. Yeah, it's just. That's the culture we have now. This is going to happen if you're this type of coach. I mean, the players run the asylum now, uh, especially in the pros. So college, you can get away with a little bit more because you can do shady things to the kids, and I'm sure it happens, but most of the time this is not going to work. So, So, you know, that's it. You know, Mike Rice, uh, Model American, probably not going to get a job for a while. And uh, that's about it. And I, I think I think, I think Peyton, my dog, is telling us that we got to wrap this up. So, Bucks, everyone else listening, thanks for, thanks for listening to this uh, version of the podcast. And I uh, hope to uh, talk to you soon. Thank you. All right.